Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hi there. We are really on the road today. We are on our way up to Logan from um, Salt Lake to see Richard's mother and sister. Um, <laughs> the reason we're doing that and uh, the reason that a lot of you listening spend a lot of time on the road is to get to see your aging parents. And we're going to spend a little time on that today because for so many Americans and so many sort of 30 to 50-year-olds, we have the sandwich effect, which is we are sandwiched in between our children who we're trying to take care of and our aging parents who we're trying to take care of. And that creates... A very, very difficult dynamic for a lot of people, more people today than at any other time in history as parents live longer and need more care at the end of their lives. And we've, we've made something of a personal study of trying to observe how different people handle it. And as you might guess, there are as many different strategies as there are different people on the world. Well, you know, uh, actually, I think that you could go even older than 50, honey, but it does start sometimes about 30 if your parents were older when they had you. But it really is such a sad thing to see parents really going into their old age if they're not able to keep their health. Um, My parents have both passed on many years ago because my mother was 41 when I was born and my dad was 54 So they would be in their hundreds by now if they were still here. And they both had the blessing of their lives, which they prayed for their entire lives. And that was to go quickly. My father passed away in his sleep at 89. And my mother had a heart attack and and left this earth within, let's see, four days. So um, when she was almost 90. So... It really is a huge blessing to be able to do that. And, you know, as as you said, Richard, there's such a wide variety of aging and and how you age and how you care for these people. And so I guess, you know, if you were, I bet if you were to do a demographic and if you were to take parents throughout the world, and so then there would be four grandparents in each case, I would guess that on average, at least one of those four is experiencing some kind of a difficult exit from this life, some kind of a health difficulty, either mental or physical. So the bottom line, what what we're saying is hardly anyone escapes from some degree, hardly any parents don't at some point in their life have this sandwich effect where they're trying to care for both their children and their aging parents. In our case... As Linda mentioned, her parents exited this earth in the perfect way, lived a good long life, and when they were done, just passed on. And my father, on the other hand, exited much too early. He was only 39 years old. I was 15 when he passed. My mother, just the opposite, now entering in her 90th year, having her 90th birthday this summer, and still in good health physically, but... In the fairly mid to advancing stages of severe dementia and, and 
perhaps Alzheimer's, although the distinction between those two is increasingly difficult to find sometimes. But bless her heart, she cannot remember what happened five minutes ago. And the wonderful blessing in her case, and this is not true in all cases, of course, is that she's remained very pleasant and very happy. Not always happy. There are times, moments, actually her moments of lucidity are her most difficult times because then she says over and over, oh, I wish I could go and oh, I want to go be with Dean. I want to be with my husband. Why doesn't he come and get me? Why doesn't God take me? But those moments are actually getting less frequent and the more common situation for her now, which is a real blessing in a strange sort of way, is that she can't remember she's depressed and she can't remember that she wants to die. And so she's kind of retained her happy nature. Um, I had a grandfather, by the way, who, skipping back another generation, was not like that. He was a railroad man. And the older he got and the more of his memory he lost, the more he resumed the language and the profanity and the anger that he had a lot of times working on the railroad. And so with him, it became increasingly difficult to be around him. With my blessed mom, not the case. She's as pleasant as she can be, but it is a tough thing to be with her because she now is getting to the point where she has to ask me who I am. So anyway, we're just, we're just, that's just by way of introduction, but we know so many of you listening have this sandwich effect, and the, the thing we want to try to deal with a little bit today, although we're far from being experts, is how do you face the challenge of parenting problems and problems with aging parents at the same time and often in two different locations? Well, I think the answer to that, and before we go too far past dementia and Alzheimer's, I'd like to suggest a book that my book club is reading this month called Still Alice. Um, just still S-T-I-L-L, Alice. In other words, this was a Harvard professor who was a psychologist who got dementia. And it is just a gripping story of how she digresses down as this disease takes over her brain. And it's just fascinating to realize that so many families are going through the same thing. The, the woman who wrote it, actually, um, has worked with people with dementia for many years and has learned that the symptoms are so similar. And as I read through that, it was so, so often uh, it referred to something that was happening to Grandma right now. So if any of you are dealing with that, it's just a fascinating read and really helps you understand what's going on in their brain. And certainly it's not their fault. Certainly, there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, there are some drugs that help, but as far as turning it around or going back, it's not going to happen for a while. Now, what are your options if you're if you're a person who's sandwiched in the way we're talking about? Uh, first of all, the thing that, that occurs to many of us in that situation is that sometimes bringing the two slices of bread in the sandwich together is a pretty good idea. In other words, getting your children with your aging parent as often as you can often is a at least a partial solution for both of them. Uh, we have, we're lucky enough, enough to have one of our daughters living in Ogden, and then my mother lives in Logan. And if you're familiar with the 
geography, we can stop in Ogden, pick up our a couple of our grandkids, uh, two or three at a time. We don't usually bring all five of them because that would overwhelm my mother. But having them come along on our visits to see mom is wonderful for them because as is the case with so many in the situation my mom's in, her long-term memory is still pretty good. And to see these little grandkids ask her questions, what was it like when you were a little girl? Did you have cars? Well, did you, how much did donuts cost? How much were hamburgers? I mean, some of the conversations are just hilarious. And, and my mom is at her best because she's dealing with a part of her memory that's still there. Now, she can't remember who she's talking to. She thinks they're cute children. And every once in a while, it occurs to her that they're her grandchildren, but she can answer their questions, and it's a kind of a delightful thing. And I guess, I guess what Linda, what you've taught me, honey, on this is that, I mean, it would be easy to say, hey, she can't remember us anyway. Why do we even bother to take the drive and go see her and so on? By the way, we'll get to the care options, which are the biggest question yeah. many people have. But I, but Linda, you've taught me that it's not about what she can or can't remember. It's about how happy she is in the moment. And when we're there, she's happy in the moment. And when our kids are there, she's happy in the moment. Our kids have had some pretty funny conversations with her recently because uh, they they totally understand what's going on. And it's, um, I mean, I'm, we're certainly not making fun of her, but we, you kind of have to laugh. Um, or you cry, one or the other. And uh, if we can learn to take it lightly and realize it is what it is and and love what is um, as far as what we can learn about how to care for them ourselves. But let's talk about those options for just a minute. Um, well, let's, inter- let's introduce them, and then we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about some of the options that parents have when they are sandwiched, as we're calling it. And we're also going to talk a little about the fact that it's not even just two slices of bread. Often people like we are dealing with not only our children and our aging parents, but also with siblings, with cousins, with extended family that have various kinds of needs and problems. And it makes life pretty complicated. But, of course, with an aging Alzheimer or severe dementia parent, Um, care centers are always something we have to look at because they need increasingly more and more care. We're fortunate enough to have a brother of mine who lives in Logan and who's able to care for our mom right in her own home. And the thought of leaving her home is very depressing to her right now, although there may come a time when she doesn't even remember where she is and won't really know where she is and where her constant care will become more important. But of course... No, no, no options with an aging parent are inexpensive, and that's where it really gets tough, Linda. Well, and there are some parents who have provided, grant, you know, the older parent uh, have provided for that. They've realized that that's going to come at some point, and then there are other parents who really have no resources, and so it has to come from the children, and so that's just another whole option. It is really very complicated, and I think what you have to do is carefully work with the siblings and really work out what is the best for your own situation because there certainly is no one right answer. So let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll talk about not a happy subject, but a very important one, namely caring for our children and our aging parents. 
Hello, parents. We're back again with you for the second half of today's Hires on the Road. And as Linda mentioned earlier, we're on the road right now, going up to see my aging mother, going into almost to turn 90. And we'll walk in today, and she'll look at us, and she'll smile sweetly, and you'll see her lovely, sweet personality, and she'll say, now, who are you? Remind me again. And we'll have to tell her. And this is not an easy time for her. And you often wonder why would she stay this long, and that's not her choice. And so... Our job as her children are to make her final months or years or however long it is as pleasant as we can. And uh, that's what we try to do, Linda. And I'm blessed enough to have Linda who thinks of her as her own mother. She's the last of our four parents left, and so we cherish her. But it's not an easy thing to spend time with someone who is losing a little more every day. Well, just to round out this exciting program about <laughs> aging parents, uh, we do want to go on and talk a little bit about um, other issues with the extended family. Um, there's uh, one family member on my side and one family member on Richard's side who are really dealing with serious depression. And, you know, there it these these mental illnesses are becoming epidemic, don't you think, honey? It's just amazing how many people have... It really is, I mean, it could be bipolar. It could be so many different things. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just because they weren't diagnosed before, but it just, every time you turn around, oh, well, she's bipolar. Oh, well, she's depressed or whatever. And it is so difficult to deal with. I think it's more difficult than a physical ailment, don't you? Yeah, and we run into a lot of parents uh, when we're speaking or we're out interacting with parents and so on who will say, well, you know, I think I'm the only one that's got all these problems. I've got a cousin who's depressed. I've got a I've got an aunt who's, uh, you know, uh, suicidal. I've got aging parents. I've got problems with my kids. I've got a little niece who's autistic, and they'll go on and on. And and we'll just look at them and say, you know what? You're pretty average. That's pretty much the way it is in in the world these days with large families and with extended families. And our advice is not probably not very specific or very wonderful, but it's essentially what they need most from you is love and concern and to know that you care. And sometimes a phone call, a note, a handwritten note, a visit whenever you can. I mean, I think, I think there's two ways to go wrong on these extended family issues, Linda. One is to let them consume you and to feel so responsible and so, you know, like it's my stewardship and I have to drop everything to care for these extended family people that have problems. You drive yourself crazy and you can't do it. And, and there are a lot, so many things are beyond your control. The other way to go wrong is to be on the other end of the spectrum and just sort of wash your hands of it and say, that's not my problem. I'm doing well to just take care of my own kids. I can't deal with all these other things. And if we go to either of those extremes, I think we end up uh, the loser, and, and so do our extended family members end up the loser. Instead, we've got to find a happy medium where we think about them often. We do the little things that don't take a lot of time, the letters, the notes, the emails, the, the Skype calls, you know, the FaceTimes, the... Uh, any any little thing we can do, and the visits whenever we can, and and just do the best you can, and 
pray a lot. I think that's probably the bottom line, don't you think, Linda? Well, I think there is other uh, ways to help them, and you and I disagree a little bit on this. I think meds, of course, we're over-medicated in this world, but I do think medications help some people and others not, not so much. But there are so many new strides that have been made in figuring out just what works well in different kinds of bodies and situations, but I think that is worth trying. And I also think that although you say, well, you know, uh, don't spend a whole lot of time, uh, you know, agonizing over it. Well, if it's somebody that lives with you, you do have to spend a lot of time agonizing well, that's, over it. Well, no, that's, that's the differentiation I'm making, though, and I, I, I'll introduce a word that I think is really important here, even though it's not a word we use commonly. It's a wonderful word, and that's the word stewardship. Some of our problems that we have within our families, we have what I would call a direct stewardship over them. Obviously, our children, they're our stewards, and, and we are responsible for them. And An aging parent, if you're the primary caregiver or if you're the, the one who's left around to care for them, that, that, that could be termed a stewardship. There are many in our extended families that are not really our direct stewardship. You may have a, a cousin. You may have a, even a sibling. You may have others who they're, they're not directly your stewardship. And then someone else may have to make the decision as to whether they're going to be medicated or whether they're going to, you know, uh, be, be almost forced to see a counselor or whatever in some of these difficult mental challenges. And you may not be the one to make that call. And, and that's another interesting thing. How much advice do you give? You know, if, if some other member of your family is the primary caregiver for someone that has a, a, a mental condition or has problems of various kinds or an autistic child that maybe is your niece or your nephew or something, how, how bold should you be in saying, you know, that child needs medication. You've really got to do something more than what you're doing. That can be a problem because if you're not the steward, you can maybe offer advice, but you've got to be awfully careful how you offer that advice. And, and so really, when you think about the whole lay of the land, uh, you need to differentiate between those that you have to make the decisions for. And, and in our case now, that's... You know, our, our, we feel stewardship over our children. We also do for my aging mother, along with my brothers. But for others, it's more just a, often a case of support, don't you think, Linda? Being as supportive as you can and doing all you can, but not beating yourself up over the fact that you're not in control and you can't cure this problem that you wish you could cure. Well, of course. and But I do think that it's really important and necessary to be informed on what is really going on in their uh, lives, in their minds. Um, my mother, who never spent one day in her life down, I mean, she was the proactive type A personality of the world. She would stand in the foyer at church and every person that walked in, she would say, come up and sing in the choir, come up and sing in the choir. And she had a huge choir every week. No one dared to say no. She did uh, taught school for 40 years, a thousand students taught piano lessons, a thousand students, and then suddenly fell at age 85 and broke her hip. And suddenly life changed. Something happened to her synapses. And boy, my sister and I were going through books and medical journals and trying to talk to people, trying to figure out what happened because 
our whole lives, and this is her included, used to say, you know, when people are kind of down and depressed, we just snap our fingers and say, come on, snap out of it, snap out of it, just get out of there. And it, it doesn't work that way. I think we do need to really concentrate on helping these people and knowing what's going on in their systems. You can be so much more sympathetic, sympathetic and empathetic and so on if you understand what's going on and then try to help them from there. Um, it was the hardest thing I think we've ever done in our family is to get her through. Meds had side effects. There were so many heart issues. But then she recovered and then fell again, and we had to do the whole thing over again. So do I ever empathize with those of you who are listening who are dealing with depression and other mental illnesses because they're very, very real? I think that's right, Linda, and I think I think the one thing you're saying that really is an important key for almost everyone, and that is sort of kill it with knowledge. I mean, what you don't want to do in these situations with extended family is just be clueless. What you don't want to do is just say, well, I don't know, she's got some problem and I don't know what it is. And, and you know, I mean, you, you want to find out all you can. You want to get the best medical information that you can. One of the family members that we're concerned about now, it turns out, and she's a mature woman now, an extended member of my family, uh, has Asperger's syndrome, which is a form of autism. But no one knew that as she grew up. It wasn't it wasn't uh, easily diagnosed. They didn't really know as much many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, as they do now. And she probably had a harder time in her life in many ways than if someone had been able to diagnose that and say, "Here's here's what you've got, and here's what can be done about it, and here's the medications that might work. And uh, having said that, she did extremely well given her condition, and we're very proud of her. But she's had some more recent ups and downs. And I guess, I guess, you know, I guess, Linda, you know, we don't intend, we never on this show, and I hope you who are regular listeners realize this, we try never to be overly prescriptive because, frankly, when you're dealing with any sort of family issues or parenting issues, which is what we usually talk about on this show, there's no hard and fast one-size-fits-all answer. And so I think what we've been doing today, almost subconsciously, is not saying, hey, you got a problem, here's a solution. We're essentially trying to say, you know, these extended family problems, this sandwich generation where we've got aging parents and parenting problems at the same time. It's a common situation to face, and it's almost like we're saying to you, take heart because you're not the only one, and have courage because these things are never easy, and we empathize with you because we have the same situation. And sometimes what helps us most is to just know that others are facing the same challenges and we're all in there pitching, we're all in there doing the best we can, and there's no easy answers. I heard the most wonderful quote um, last week, and I wish I knew who said it. I had two or three women had their ideas, but I'm sorry, I didn't, uh, couldn't find it. But this is it. No matter what your issues are in your life or your family right now that you're struggling with and you're praying about and you're worried about and, and wrestling with, um, you have to remember that, Everything will work out in the end, and if it hasn't, 
it isn't the end. So, <laughs> you know, it really is a good idea to keep the faith, to keep working, keep uh, knowing that there is going to be a resolution at some point, in some way, and I think that gives us a lot of courage. And as a final word, because we're nearly out of time, there, there's one other good thought that kind of ties in with that, Linda. Sometimes it's these very crises or these very problems ongoing with extended family and with aging parents and so on. One of the silver linings is that's often what brings a family together. That's often what causes siblings to start communicating more, talking more, uh, working on the problem together, renewing their own relationships. And so look for the silver linings, keep doing your best. And as for Linda and I, we'll see you next week on Hires on the Road. Bye-bye.